This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. All right, everybody. Episode 90 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. January 18th, 2015. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me, ready to roll, is the lovely and talented Brittany Page. Yep, I'm ready to roll. <laughs> ready to roll? Mm-hmm. We're doing a 60 Minutes thing right now. That's what they do. Or, or should have I said, are we doing a 60 Minutes thing right now? Yeah, that's what you should have said. <laughs> Where they repeat back? Yes. Yeah. I don't know how that got started. I, I would venture to say other news agencies or news outlets, when they interview, that same kind of thing happens, but it's just super prominent with 60 Minutes. Yeah, I think they're trying to represent like active listening, but, but going a little too far with it, maybe, because they do it too much. Yeah. So it's like too much active listening or too much pretend active listening. Active listening being a real, like, that's a term for something. Yeah, when you are focusing on what the person's saying you're mm, really in mm-hmm. tune with what they're saying mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you're doing right now mm, mm-hmm, mm. Mm-hmm. is that what it is yeah and that's why i do that when you, when i when people talk to me you do it a lot so much so that there were times many years ago that i believe you were just putting it on like you're you had because it comes across sometimes like you're not really listening you're just yep uh-huh 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 and it doesn't I know, look, I know that you're, you are listening. I've learned over the years, but at first appearance, it seems as though you're not. I've also had someone think I was being aggressive. With the uh uh-huhs? Yeah, that Hmm. that I was being aggressive during a conversation and like kind of stopped me and was like, are you, are you being aggressive right now? And it's like, no, I'm just excessively saying uh uh-huh, apparently. What, What was the, uh, what was the circumstance? Oh, it was kind of a hostile conversation (laughs) it was it was not a hostile conversation i guess it was just a contentious conversation those words i think are synonymous okay i thought it was lesser slightly less contentious and hostile yeah 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 maybe so yeah maybe so so uh saw some movies this week yeah we did yeah some some good ones. Some very, very good ones. And then some turd ones. And a terrible letdown. I hate when I go into a movie, and I go into every movie thinking it's going to be good because I don't go to movie. I didn't, let's say, go to the theater to see Dude, Where's My Car? Right. You know who, I mean? who does that? I don't pay to go see a, sh- a movie that I think is going to be shitty. Especially when it's $12. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's you have to mortgage your house to go to movies these days. <laughs> right. When popcorn is, you know, what, eight, ten dollars for a large? Yeah. Well I know a medium Coke is five seventy five. For a medium Coke. Right. Six bucks for a medium Coke. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's a lot of money. I mean it's a it's a it's a commitment to go to the a financial commitment to go to the movie. Yes. Well we saw Whiplash yes. with JK Simmons who and Miles Teller. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of Miles Teller, but J.K. Simmons had a wonderful, 
awesome, ridiculously terrifying role of um, Schillinger in the HBO series Oz. Yes. A, 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 like ran for like seven seven seasons, and it's about prison. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like a... He was a, a Nazi. Right. He was insane. He was very, very mean. It, it was awesome. Yes. A g- great show. If you haven't watched it, you should check it out. It's but, great for about the first three or four seasons. But most people probably know him as Juno's dad. And the guy from the State Farm commercials. Yes. So anyway, he, it's, it's a movie... You know, look, we're not going to give a, a review. It's, an awesome, it's the best movie I've seen all year. Hands down, without any equivocation, absolutely the best movie I've seen all year. It's just January, by the way. Well, I mean, last year. Okay. Uh, for the Oscar contenders. Okay. Of, you know, right. Come on. It's only... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then, because we're trying to wrap up all this year, having seen all of the Oscar contenders... I won't see the Wes Anderson flick, though, because I'm just generally not... I'm not a guy who appreciates his work. Yes. So, however, in in almost wrapping everything up, we decided we'd go see Foxcatcher. Mm-hmm. With, with Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Mark Ruffalo, Channing Tatum. You've just, you're rattling it all up. That's mm-hmm. good. Based on uh, John DuPont. That's right. Um, true story. And it... Um, in my opinion, in my ever so humble opinion, is a turd. I was very, very disappointed. There was one part in the movie where he, Steve Carell is sitting in a chair and it's like kind of a long silence for a bit. And I had the thought, oh, is this is this like a safe time to fall asleep for a bit and, and try to get some <laughs> shut eye? Because it was a very slow, boring nap time movie. Yeah, it was just not... It, the even the his portrayal it wasn't i didn't get lost in in the character i didn't either it was it was steve carell with makeup on in fact halfway through the movie he kind of slipped back into his steve carell voice and away from the thing he'd been doing i thought yeah i mean we love steve carell oh yeah he's fantastic he's awesome but uh... yeah not a good movie i i did want to talk about this one aspect of of britney about you it's very funny Great. Well, we were going to go see, um, what led to this is we were going to go see American Sniper, and Brittany used to hate Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered is if, if, if the first role that she sees someone in, and they're a terrible person, she forms this judgment about the actor, and it's mm-hmm. almost <laughs> irreparable damage that's been done. She she can't escape that. Yeah. That aura of of hatred for that person. Yeah, because it happened with Bradley Cooper, like you said, and and the reason well, I didn't like him is because yeah. of Wedding Crashers, and that came out in like 2006. I don't know. 2005 yeah, sounds about right. And so I just recently started liking Bradley Cooper. Right. When I heard him on a a radio show being interviewed at length. And I, I kind of learned about his personality. I'm like, oh, I actually like this person. He isn't Sack Lodge from Wedding Crashers. <laughs> and it took me a while to to come out of that. Well, there is there is a a slight bend in your rule, though, because you love Ian McShane. Mm, and yeah. he was a dirty, rotten bastard. Yeah. In Deadwood, the HBO series Deadwood. Yeah, I don't know But why. he was such a good bad guy that maybe you just fell in love with the depth and richness of the character. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the way he talks, and I just like the way he talks. Well, you also had talked about 
like someone that you liked, but you've been you found yourself conflicted about would be Thomas Hayden Church. Right. Because I think I saw him in two movies around the same time, Sideways, where he's a terrible person. But, but first you saw him in Easy A. In Easy A, right, where he's this victimized right. poor husband who's getting cheated on by right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by Phoebe. Poten- yeah, Phoebe. Potentially <laughs> getting an S T D. So he's being treated terribly in one movie, but then he's treating other people terribly in another. So I was a little I'm I'm confused as to how I should feel about Thomas Hayden Church. Well, what I think this is good, it kind of it portrays the fact or is it exemplifies the fact that you you really do get sucked into the movie and the character and Mm -hmm. you buy it. And Mm -hmm. that's good. That's I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I think it's less great that you're not able to just leave it behind when you you leave the movie theater. I know it's been almost a decade and I've been holding this grudge (laughs) against Bradley Cooper for playing that role. It's unfortunate. Yeah. I'm over it now, though, so that's good. Well, that's good. Yeah. And well, hopefully I can stop doing that in the I future. U- I used to be a guy when I was super dogmatic about my politics and even religion that, like, for instance, a guy like Sean Penn, I hated and I couldn't appreciate his work or I wouldn't allow myself to appreciate his work. Um, Alec Baldwin was another that it was just I could not buy in. I couldn't do it because I hated him so much. And I. I don't know if I'm over it or I've just grown up or what, but I think you just miss out on so much richness and art and entertainment if you do that. Is because, that was that based on what you know about them personally or no? Just you know their their political stances because oh, okay. you know some actors are mouthy about politics. For instance, Ben Affleck, right? And Alec Baldwin is a notorious liberal. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, like Ben Affleck now. It, if if I was the man I was 15 years ago, let's say, well, it'd have to be longer than that, 20 years ago, um, I would not enjoy his work. Right. And so I'd be missing out on tons of good shit just because he's a DB. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So thankfully, I'm smarter and more mature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I don't do that anymore. And apparently I'm not there yet. But mine's not based on politics and religion. It's based on what I saw them play first. And I just think they're that character forever. Zach Lodge. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we uh, we worked through that. Yeah, moving on up. So I, I guess I'd like to congratulate um, the Seahawks quarterback, Russell Wilson, for a wonderful win tonight, uh, this earlier today against the uh, against the Green Bay Packers, I only bring it up to point out the fact that uh, it really bugs me. This whole praying and giving credit to God before or especially after a sporting event, it just it's very odd to me that he he's able to get up there at the end and. He's clearly not thinking clearly, and none of these guys do who do this, but give credit to God and how faithful God has been to him. I mean, is it, you know, well, one, taking aside the fact that, you know, God has better things to do. I'm saying this all tongue in cheek because clearly there's no God. But if there was to be a God, he would have he or she would have better things to do, like starving children. Then worry about football. 
Right. So discounting that altogether, are are all the Green Bay Packers, are they just terrible Christians or are they all Hindus? I mean, what's what's the deal? Why Why is Russell Wilson so blessed? Anyway, I posted a short uh, little video of them praying post-game, immediately post-game. They got into a little prayer circle jerk, got on their knees and, you know, worshipped their God and thanked him for his faithfulness to answer their prayers about winning the game. And I posted it on Facebook, and this is a comment I wanted to read. Um, (laughs) This gentleman says, I can't wait for them to start blaming God. And then he does a back and forth between a reporter and the receiver. The reporter says, tough loss out there today. Why do you feel you couldn't make that key reception to convert that pivotal fourth down? The receiver says, you know, I think God really just let us down today. I prayed really hard and even tithed extra extra at church. I mean, what more does he want? I don't know. Maybe the other team just prayed harder. But this one is definitely on the big guy upstairs, this loss. And I think that's so apropos because you only hear... You only hear about the positive when God is great. As soon as something terrible and shitty happens, it's, oh, how oh, God's mysterious and he has a plan and don't question it because he's got something good in mind. You just got to get a weather this storm. Right. Well, it's become kind of just the thing that people do to talk illogically all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I want to thank God for this win and he has blessed us and it's it's meaningless. I mean, what you're saying is meaningless. So it's just become kind of a habit, I guess, to talk that way and, and say those things after something as futile as a football game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I ran track and was very successful at running track in, in high school. And I remember my sophomore year, I decided that if I if I took state, if I got first place at state, which I didn't, thankfully, because it would be there would be record of me being a moron, but I I said to my my very good friend at the time who was a, uh, with me that if I take state, I'm if I'm going to I'm going to give all credit to God if they interview me. <laughs> this win, the, the reason I won the hundred meter dash this year, is 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 all due to God. Mm-hmm. And this friend who was a devout Mormon at the time, still is. Told just tried to express to me how stupid that was. Oh, nice. And he was that he goes, that is ridiculous. You're the one who trained. You trained. You worked out diligently. You were you're putting in the effort, the time, right, to to make yourself better and to excel at this sport. Yeah, but apparently the Holy Spirit was inside of you. That's what and I told him. You needed to win the race for a reason. That is almost exactly what I told him. That's terrifying. That without God, I listen to me. Without God, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do any of those things. Yeah. Just fucking ridiculous. You know, I think you can make a lot of money going into the pastor business. The pastor business. <laughs> The El Pastor. Is that like a fancy? <laughs> um, <laughs> apparently, I just have tacos on my mind. Huh. Yeah. Well. A pastor. <laughs> pastor. Just be- And you never even eat- order El Pastor tacos. Yeah. I do. I don't know what's happening. Um, Brittany's a carnitas gal. I sure am. <laughs> uh, We're going really nutty here. Yeah, Let's we are. Let's get back on track. Okay. I'm just saying you can make a lot of money with your pastor voice. 
and fooling people into giving you lots of money. Trust me, it's something I've talked to Brett about a lot. Right. If he and I were to co-pastor a church, Mm -hmm. or as Brittany would say, if he and I were to co-pastor a church, (laughs) we would do very well. Yeah. Because it, well, it's a, it's an, it's a self captive audience. They've captive made themselves captive and it's shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. You, do you really think Joel Osteen is that wild of a talent or an intellect? No. No, it's 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 calves and lambs to the slaughter. He certainly didn't gain his following following by being super handsome either. So <laughs> You know, you remember the the uh, the claymations from the eighty? Yeah, you know, probably you probably don't, but, but like oh the, yeah, the, I know all about those. The California raisins, like celebrity death match. Yeah, right. Well, kind of like the California raisins were claymation. Yeah, he looks like a California raisin, but like one of those white raisins, <laughs> right? Like the squinty. Yeah. He looks like a bulldog's face, like a puppy, if you just squish all the wrinkles together in the front. It's like a white raisin wearing a black raisin on the head. Yeah. For his hair. That's exactly right. Perfect. Man, we burned him. Yeah. We burned him. <laughs> we just figured it out. Yeah. Well, speaking of burnt. Um, that was perfect. That worked out really, really well. Sorry, I just have to comment on it because <laughs> that worked out really well. So several weeks ago, goddamn, may- maybe two months ago, maybe longer... Uh, loyal listener to the show, Burt Reynolds, he sent uh, an email or put it on the Facebook page, something about something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a uh, a trade treaty, a trade agreement that is supposed to be taking place between several different nations. It's already in place, but we're going to be adding ourselves kind of to the mix. Uh, it involves Canada and the U.S., Mexico, Peru, Chile, New Zealand, Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, Brunei, and Japan. Nice. I was reading off a list. Oh, I thought you memorized it. Not a chance, Lance. So anyway, there's a lot of controversy about this. Some of the controversy is not well-founded because it's based on the fact that a lot of the negotiation for this is being done in private or in secret. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't which, that be typical? Well, <laughs> it shouldn't be. But it is typical for trade agreements because a lot of the the a lot of different countries who are going in to agree with one another, a lot of their business would be on the street if it wasn't done privately. Mm, which, biz on the street, right? Which is not who's not necessarily what they want. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem, and it's done through what's called fast tracking, uh, fast track negotiations, where it kind of it doesn't circumvent Congress. But the the executive branch, so the administration, the presidents, it's very complicated and kind of convoluted. And this is why it's not getting the press that it deserves, because it's a bad deal, I think. But several years ago, many years ago, they allowed the presidency to do the negotiating. And then Congress gets an up or down vote on the agreement that the president of the United States has made, which is not the way that the Constitution is set up. So. If indeed this does go through, there's a lot of good that could come from it. Um, you know, a, a, like a trillion dollars in trade. It could be a good deal for that. But here's why we should not um, agree. This is why we should not be a part of the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Okay. It's because we would be selling out our own sovereignty as a country. Be- well, here's the deal. Some of these trade... Um, 
these these trade these trade agreements, these free trade agreements like NAFTA and these others, they have their own court system by which to adjudicate wrongdoing or whatever violations, right? Which violates our constitution because in our constitution we have something that's called the supremacy clause, mm-hmm. which means that our government. And our laws and our constitution and our system trumps any other. There's no, we don't bow to foreign authority relative to the court. Right. We don't. We are superior. There's even something called the International Criminal Court, which we should, uh, we rarely listen to. Mm -hmm. For the fact that we are the United States and we don't have to listen to any other authority other than that which we have in place for ourselves. So if if we're going to, to, um, submit if we're going to allow these this other court that is set up for this particular trade agreement to trump our national sovereignty that's a bad deal it's not even necessarily a problem for just the united states any nation on the earth should not be handing over power to other countries they shouldn't have to be bowing to each other not it's not or- even another country in this case it's it's just a an arbitrary court that's set up to to mine the store, as it were. It would it would re- regulate and it would be over these countries related to this tr- trade agreement. Okay, kind of regulating things between the countries. That's right. Okay, and not even regulating. They would they would they would pass judgment on our corporations, hmm. on our businesses. Okay, and the only courts under our constitution that have the ability to do that legally are our courts, our district courts, our Supreme Court. That's the way it should be. And so what is the purpose of this thing supposed to be? Like, what, it, what, what is it for? Well, it, it's, a, it's a trade agreement to, to bolster. It's supposed to foster um, smoother and better trade between all these nations. Okay. So the one, the one country that it does leave out that I think is great is uh, China. We already, I guess, have enough trade with them. So it's kind of the little guys. But overall, like I said, it's very complicated. I've, I've had to go to many, many different sites to try to get some semblance of a, an unbiased look at it. Because wild, wild liberals are completely opposed to it because they hate free trade. And wild conservatives are against it, like wild, wild conservatives are against it because of the sovereignty thing that I've raised and other issues. But, you know, we'll see. And I'm going to do some more reading. And and the more that I find out and the more that I'm able to give a more of a a better, (laughs) a better explanation than I've given, um, I'm going to do that. I've just been it's been two months and I haven't. I haven't replied at all, and it's I don't want to leave it hanging because I really do like when the audience brings something to my attention and tries to you know talk it out a little bit. Right. So, um, I'm going to read more on it. We're for sure going to talk more about it. I would encourage the audience to look up as much information as they can about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, this free trade deal, and make up their own minds about it. And moreover, if you do have a problem with it, call your congressman whether it be your local congressional office or Senate office or D.C., you definitely should call and let them know because they do, each congressman's office, each senator's office has a calculation that they use for every nay or yay vote from a, from a voter, a call, it counts as so many votes. 
so many responses. So if you call and say, yeah, I love it, you count for, let's say, 100 voters. I mean, each office has their own thing, but it's definitely important to call and let you know, let them know or email or whatever. They're for sure taking track. It might not, not always sway them, but on something like this that it has bipartisan opposition and bipartisan support, it, it goes a long way. So here's something funny this week. So there was a kid and his dad... And the names are just, it's just, it's beautiful. Alex and Kevin Malarkey, shocking that someone with the last name of Malarkey wrote a book called The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. Shocking, right? Um, so, so, yeah. So, <laughs> so apparently there's some kind of rift in the family and this kid has come out and he's recanted his entire story and said, He's called bullshit on his own story. Yes. I would like to note before going forward that the subtitle of the book says a remarkable account of miracles, angels, and life beyond this world. Mm. And it also says a true story. True story, everybody. Well, not anymore, even though. (laughs) Is it not quite as true? Or, yeah, you know, we made a whole boatload of money and eh, not so true. Well, Alex, who who had the experience of going to heaven, I mean, who lied about his experience of going to heaven. <laughs> yeah, let's get clear on that. Yeah. So he recently released a statement and it was published. It was an open letter to Christian bookstores posted on Pulpit and Pen, which is a website. Mm, that, apparently that's a that's a big, big website. Yeah, it sounds like something other than a Christian bookstore website. Pulpit and pen. Yeah. Um, He says, I did not die. I did not go to heaven. Please forgive the brevity because of my limitations. I have to keep this short. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made this claim that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. And this book was published by Tyndale House, which is a major Christian publisher. And they have announced that they will stop selling this book. Weird. (laughs) The best-selling book was first published in 2010, and it purports to describe what Alex experienced while he was in a coma after a car accident when he was six years old. The coma lasted two months, and his injuries left him paralyzed, but the subsequent spiritual memoir became part of a popular genre of heavenly tourism because as we know there have been numerous books i love that term heavenly tourism i love it right so he's taking this back and here's the thing i find very interesting he's not even he hasn't uh, recanted on his faith he hasn't lost his faith he's still a christian but he feels he's so deep in his faith now that he feels guilty about this lie I think part of it is also kind of what you were mentioning before about the family divide that's going on. Yeah. He wrote the book with his father, but his mother and father are now divorced. And apparently the father has been getting all the money from oh, the book. Wow. And So the kid's completely cut out. It's like a Gary Coleman situation. <laughs> right. His mother has said that he has not received money from the book uh, nor have a majority of his needs been funded by it. 
Wow. So the dad divorced and then took the money, the proceeds, because he was the co-author with the child. And so I'm assuming the money would just go straight to him. Right. And so I'm assuming they wrote this this thing about how people are profiting from this, profiting Me- from lies. Meaning the dad. Yes, meaning... And the publisher, sure. Meaning cough, cough, Kevin Malarkey. <laughs> and people should read the Bible cough cough kevin malarkey right so it's just the, right. the whole note that was released just, just seems like a message to the dad just super passive aggressive right and a, <laughs> and a way to get the money to stop being funneled to him right just because to, now they've yanked the book right yeah but this is probably a lesson to book publishers everywhere which is none of these stories are true so maybe don't market these as true stories well or memoirs. What happens when you stop doing that is people stop buying the books and then you don't enrich yourself on the backs of gullible, faithful parishioners. And I was going to say sheep, but well, wouldn't, sheep. Well, wouldn't it be nice if the other individuals that have written books about this had kind of a guilty heart and oh, came yeah. forward and said, yeah, you know, I'm lying to. It would be great. God's going to be mad at me, too, and so I, I want to fess up here and confess. It just Well, here's the deal. It really it should give Christians and those who believe the claims of these charlatans, it should give them pause, because if this book was so well-received, and it was truth, and it was fact, and oh my, it's it just so... how well, This guy, they wouldn't lie. They're good Christians. And then we find out, yeah, total bullshit. It should make all the other claims made so suspect right well in this book reportedly sold more than one million copies wow so i wonder how all those people feel you know do they just feel like this one story isn't true or maybe we should take the genre of heavenly tourism and question it a little bit it reminds me of the cnn mini documentary which aired a couple weeks ago and i forgot what it's called but it had like it featured three people i think that all had stories of dying and going to right, heaven right and it was interesting because there was a christian woman who had a regular you know experience that you you typically hear about then there was another woman who was a different ethnicity i don't remember specifically what it was but she didn't come from a a Christian background, and her experience was completely different. She went to like an area where they were playing music, and it was like dancing. Like mirrored her cultural experience. Right. She didn't talk about Jesus. Right. She didn't really mention anybody by name, but she didn't mention Jesus like they typically do. Right. And so that was interesting to me. Well, there's there's kind of a, a joke that runs that I've heard that you never hear of a kid, you know, little Johnny who wakes up from his coma and said, oh, I was up in heaven and I met Allah. Right, you know and then I his Christians, Christian parents have a heart attack. Yeah, or you never hear of little little Muhammad in, in Yemen who dies and goes into a coma or whatever and comes back and says, oh, nope, it's Yahweh. The Jews got it right. That never, ever happens. Right. It's always tied to your cultural, where you were born. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That's why it's so, ugh, it's just, it's tragic. It's tragic that there's so many millions of people who get sucked into this bullshit. And it's complete chicanery. It's absolute charlatans who are doing this and earning 
it's ill-begotten cash. Right. And there was one woman from the CNN documentary who claimed that these people, she was in like the middle of the woods and like had drowned in a river or something. Oh, I remember this one. And it was in a foreign country and there were no people around. It was like a, a desolate area. And, you know, after she had drowned and she was basically about to die, two people that didn't speak English came out of nowhere and lifted her up and there was an ambulance that appeared and there were no ambulances in the area. Because they, like, they were like out in the middle of the Amazon or something. Right. Like yeah. all these things were appearing and she said that her doctor said it was a miracle and it's like, well, where's this doctor? Well, that's the that's the other thing. Let's uh, talk to this doctor. I want to hear that it's a miracle from the doctor's mouth. I tweeted about this the other day and that's exactly the, the point that I raised is... They interviewed all of the quote-unquote patients, all of the people who died. Not one one doctor, not a single doctor who would have presided over the medical procedure or who would have been there in the hospital, not one of them got interviewed. And they could have added more fuel to this fire. They could have said, hey, oncologist, who was the cancer doctor for this person who died, what went on? Nope. Not one single person. So it was it was bullshit, salacious um, little news piece, news piece that uh, CNN did that shouldn't have been done. It's irresponsible because they don't clear anything up. Right. It's it's just listening to this person, this one person's story. And it's right. Why am I going to trust what you're saying? I want to hear a medical professional that told you that this is an absolute miracle. Right. Well, well, why you need to source the story? Right, and it's what is CNN doing over well, there? She, she, uh, these people. It wasn't just. I think there was a dude too, but they could be men- mentally ill. They could be liars. But, I mean, there's many other options than just oh, take them at their word. Yeah. Oh, and the one lady, <laughs> right? The one lady was. Uh, she was a an orthopedic surgeon, right? She's that's the kayak lady, mm-hmm. and she. Uh, She's also a devout, devout Christian. Right. Even so, before it happened. Yeah. So she's got skin in the game. Mm-hmm. She's already got an axe to grind relative to her particular faith that she happened to be luckily born into because she's she's an American living in Wyoming or Montana. There's not a lot of Muslims who are native born Montana people, <laughs> white orthopedic surgeons from, from Montana who 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 grew up Muslim and happened to die and then go see Allah and their good buddy Mo. Yeah. So, you know. And I don't mean, nyuck, 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 nyuck. I don't mean, you know, Mo. Uh-huh. And, you know. The, right. Three Stooges. Three, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, Allah Akbar. Yeah. That, that Mo. Right. So hopefully the heaven is for real kid. This is a different kid that the movie was based on. They've got dumb a dumb last name, too. Hopefully he's next. What? Look up his last name. Because between the malarkey and the other family, I think it's maybe a prerequisite that you have a goofy last name when you go to write this kind of a, of a trash book. Uh, the father's name is Todd Burpo. Burpo, that's it. And the son's name is Colton Burpo. Colton Burpo. Burpo and, and malarkey. Those... Those scamps, those rascally scamps. Yeah, and this this one is a pastor. So weird right. that his son, at the age of three, began describing events that led people to believe he had been in heaven when he's a pastor's kid and has been hearing this for his whole entire well, life. Well, not only that, not only that, but 
he he's a pastor. How could you how dare how could you ever think that a pastor would do anything untoward or immoral like lie or do drugs and have homosexual relationships with with uh, male prostitutes or steal millions of dollars from their church? It's only atheists that do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Who would who? who why would you think he's a pastor? He's got to be trustworthy. So here is some bummer news coming out of Saudi Arabia, one of our, one of our, I say our, the United States' closest allies. And I wish you could see my face when I say that, because if my eyes rolled any farther into the back of my head, they might not be able to return from whence they came. Raif Badawi is a blogger out of Saudi Arabia who was just sentenced to many years in prisons in prison, not not many prisons, only one prison, and um, over or a thousand, he got a, a, a sentenced to a thousand lashes for, uh, I get being a blogger and speaking his mind. Raif Badawi's website was about speaking out, but now he's been silenced. The Saudi blogger accused of insulting Islam. His family believe this is the 31-year-old being flogged last week in Jeddah. Last Friday, the first 50 lashes. Tomorrow, 50 more, and the same for the next 18 weeks. Raif Badawi's liberal website covered religion, politics, free speech. It mocked Saudi clerics and praised secularism. In Canada, where they've been given asylum, his wife and children are calling on governments across the world to demand his release. Raif? Raif is a very peaceful and very respectable man in everything he says and writes. There is nothing to prove that he has insulted religion or attacked the government in any way. Why should he take such penalty that he surely does not deserve? She points to the irony that Saudi officials joined world leaders marching for free speech in Paris last week. Saudi Arabia took part in the rally in France on the very day after Raif has been flogged back home. I cannot find the words to describe how I feel. How could flogging Raif not be considered an act of terror? Tonight, the UN Commissioner for Human Rights appealed to the Saudi king to end the continued flogging of Mr. Badawi. But those who know the kingdom say it will be hard to stop. To us, it's pretty barbaric, but it's part of the... Uh, legal code in Saudi Arabia, they uh, follow Sharia law. There are many punishments under Sharia law that we would have long since uh, given up. Uh, and, but that's the, that's the legal system in Saudi Arabia, which enjoys quite popular support. David Cameron says the government doesn't approve of this type of punishment and his case will be raised. But supporters of Raif Badawi want Britain to do more to demand his release and don't want the government to put trade before human rights. We want the British government to make very, very clear to the Saudi government that this is unacceptable. I would want the Foreign Office to be calling in the Saudi ambassador and making that clear face to face. Protests outside the Saudi embassy, but unless they listen to the growing outcry, Raif Badawi will be flogged tomorrow and again and again. Lucy Manning, BBC News.
So very disturbing. I think what's most disturbing about that clip, though, is that person that was saying, well, to us, it's barbaric, but that's what they do in Saudi Arabia. It's like, no, that's barbaric, period. End your sentence. That's exactly right. Well, well, that's what they do in Saudi. That what are you going to do? Right. And he's acting like there's there's support for it there. So that makes it OK. No, that doesn't make it OK. It doesn't matter how many people support it. Well, they they cut the heads off of people within the ISIL territory. They they rape Christian women. They kill non Sunni men. So, well, that's what they do. They what, just what are you going to do? They just publicly beheaded a woman in the city of Mecca. Saudi Arabia. She was executed by sword. Right. And it took three blows to complete the execution. Close. One of our closest allies. One of the United States' closest allies. When our president meets with members of the of the Saudi royal family, they fucking hold hands. It is egregious that we give these people any kind of ally or or preference relative to dipl- diplomatic relations at all. Well, and if that's the case, why aren't we saying more to get this to stop? Because cash. this needs to stop. It's got to be cash. It's it has to be the financial aspect of it. And also, they are the largest controller of our petroleum supplies. So, it's it's difficult from an economic standpoint, but at some point you have to stand up. At some point, you have to make a moral, ideological stand and say, no, fuck you. We're not going to do business anymore because you guys are animals who are beheading women, who are publicly... At the beginning of that clip, you hear this whap, 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 this click, click, click. That was that man, Badawi, being beaten in front of a giant crowd of people who are cheering Allah Akbar while he's being beaten with a stick. And he is a blogger. And he's a writer. He just blogs. He's he wasn't he wasn't fomenting insurrection. He wasn't he wasn't rallying having a rallying cry to overthrow the government. He's just a more liberal cat. And really when you look at it from the perspective of, of kind of a relativism look, he's probably not even that liberal. He's probably a pretty conservative dude because he grew up where women can't drive. You're arrested for terrorism if you drive and you're a female. Because apparently the only way to effectively drive a car in Saudi Arabia is with your penis. Yeah, so he has three kids. And he was sentenced to 10 years in prison, a heavy fine, and 1,000 lashes, which will be given to him at 50 a week. 50? Every Friday. Yeah. Publicly and just simply because he, I don't know, blasphemy, I guess. He has that's, a differing opinion from the state. And that's uh, completely terrifying. Absolutely. So if you can, uh, tweet about it. Or or something, because I think the more that people talk about it and the more it spreads, hopefully there can be some kind of pressure right. on on the government from our government or whoever. There have been several countries that have come out and spoken against the the human rights violation. And his wife was actually interviewed by The Guardian, and she said that she believes global pressure is the only thing that will force his release. 
that would be good to see. So speaking of intolerant assholes, <laughs> Bill Donahue, frequent guest, um, he doesn't physically appear, but we sure do talk about him. He is at it again and talking about how atheists are inferior, insane, and what was the other thing? Need therapy. Need therapy. They believe that freedom is licensed to do whatever you want. That's why they're, quote, non-judgmental. They made a judgment when they made themselves non-judgmental. They believe in no holds barred. They don't like the three dreaded words in the English language we got from our Jewish friends, thou shalt not. They don't want to be told anything, which is why they die prematurely. They're unhappy. That's why we have a disproportionate number of agnostics and atheists in the asylum. All of this is true. Now, look, they've got some serious problems. I'm talking here about the militants. I'm not talking about your average atheist or agnostic. Right, right. They're not a, more of a threat than, than, than a lame Catholic is. But I am talking about the organized group. It's only a small percentage of them, but every year they have to try and do something to stick it to us. And like American atheists, when do they have their annual convention every year? On Good Friday. And you say, See, it's all directly, in, it, it, it's, it's all the middle finger in the face of Christians. And you say atheists and agnostics die earlier and because they're unhappy and, and there's more of them in, in mental institutions? Absolutely. I have a book coming out in March, will be back to which details all of this stuff in mm, great, I can't wait. great detail. You take a look at people who are secularist and you compare them to people of faith, there's a huge difference when it turns to health and happiness, mental health, physical health, and degree of happiness. Now, look, they got to work it out. Fine. You know, I'll help pay for the therapy. Just get, keep, keep your hands, your mitts <laughs> off the Catholics during Christmas. I love this guy. I do. Um, and that's the great Bill Donahue, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And then they're on. Uh, of course, they're sitting there. They, they like do a little the bro handshake and uh, just disgusting on Newsmax TV, which is uh, a right wing outlet. But the thing I want to address, there's a couple things. One, all those numbers are complete bullshit, and they won't be backed up by whatever trash he writes in his book. What numbers? He didn't give any numbers. Right, well, he's making a claim that I'm going to die earlier, typically. Atheists die earlier. And we end up... Who uses the word asylum anymore? I know. That's <laughs> what I was going to say. What is he talking about? But he says, he says, you know, it's not all atheists. It, you know, the ones who just stay home. and it, So it's if you're quiet... If you're quiet, he's fine with you. If you stay home and don't voice an opinion that's different from his, he's okay because he doesn't know. Out of sight, out of mind is best for Bill Donahue. As soon as you stand up and talk about the rampant child rape problem within the Catholic Church, then he's got a problem with you. I would like to note that adding the phrase, all this is true to the end of your sentence, doesn't make what you just said <laughs> true. So yeah. I'm not sure if he knows that. So I just wanted to note that for him. Well, we should get to him on Twitter. In fact, all of our listeners, since we talked about it the last couple episodes for you to get a Twitter account, I'm sure all of you have done that and also followed the I Doubt It With Dollamore podcast Twitter account, which is at I Doubt It Podcast. Everybody should tweet this monkey, everyone, and tell him how what a moron he is, because he is speaking nonsense, unverified, completely pulled out of his ass numbers that are bullshit. Well, and that's the thing. I'm kind of starting to get annoyed by this. Like, don't make these bold claims. 
And there was even an opportunity when the host of the show asked him again, so there's more atheists and agnostics in mental institutions. And he said, yes, all this is true. Okay, well, what study are you referencing? Back it up. Who conducted the study? When was it released? I mean, give us some information so that we can go verify what you're saying. I've never heard that. I, I think I would have heard that by now because in my in my training w- they would be telling us we'll look out for the atheists and agnostics right they're right. gonna you know that would be something an important an important question to ask are you atheist because you know the trends are ding 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 you be crazy right <laughs> well let's move on so talking about Bill Donahue let's talk about his boss not Jesus uh, the Pope everybody's favorite. Feel good guy, the Pope. Oh, it's a Popa. He, he, um, he's starting to show his true colors, folks. All of you who love the shit out of this guy so much because he talks about, hey, who am I to judge it a gaze? Uh, uh, well, he, he opened up his mouth and let us know all just how he really feels about free speech. Right. So he was aboard a plane, the papal plane. And it's like Air Force One for the Vatican, right? <laughs> I guess. And he was being interviewed and said there are limits to freedom of expression, especially when it insults or ridicules someone's faith. Mm. And he had Alberto Gaspari standing next to him, who is the individual that organizes papal trips. And he was standing at the Pope's side during this conversation. And the Pope said, if my good friend, Dr. Gaspari, says a curse word against my mother, he can expect a punch. And then the Pope threw a pretend punch his way, (laughs) which I'd like to see happen. And the Pope went on to say, it's normal. You cannot provoke. You cannot insult the faith of others. You cannot make fun of the faith of others. So it's kind of what he's doing right there is he used an example where he's talking about how he would punch someone who spoke ill of his mother. Then in the latter part of the conversation, he moves it to faith. You can't insult faith. Right. Well, he's using two different things. You're insulting his mom. That's a person. Who's real and can be verified that she is a real thing. Right. And then he goes on to talk about an idea. So you you can't criticize an idea. Right. Well, listen, he says it's normal. You cannot provoke. You cannot insult the faith of others. You cannot make fun of the faith of others. Well, let me break it to you, Popa. You absolutely can make fun of the faith of others. You can insult the faith of others. That is not provocation that should be able to be justified, that would justify murder. And he's coming across exactly like the Bill Donahue's of the world, exactly like the NGM uh, Chowderies of the world, who are saying, well, look, they made fun. They drew cartoons what do they expect to happen other than murder because they made fun of the prophet? Francis insisted that it was an aberration to kill in the name of God and said religion can never be used to justify violence. But he went on. There are so many people who speak badly about religions or other religions who make fun of them, who make a game out of the religions of others. They are provocateurs, and what happens to them is what would happen to Dr. Gaspari if he says a curse word against my mother. There is a limit. So he insisted that religion can never be used to justify violence, but then he goes on to say that 
someone who criticizes religion can expect to be punched in the face. Well, it's listen, here's the problem with this. It's not like he's your average, everyday, run-of-the-mill priest running the parish down the street. This is the goddamn Pope. So when he says, listen, there's never an excuse for violence. However, even if this dude sitting next to me said something bad about my mother, I would. I'm the vicar of Christ. And I would punch him in his fucking face. That's a problem. Because he's sending a message to the rest of the goddamn world that it's okay because even he would do it. If the message that Jesus gave wasn't turn the other cheek, but if he said, listen, violence is never the answer. However, if you do this or this, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> it, what kind of message would that send? Uh, a really exciting one. Uh, so I guess uh, the Pope, if he, if you know, this whole Pope thing doesn't work out, he's got a he's got a career lined up in the UFC, you know, punching the people in the face. Uh, right. I don't know why I do the Italian thing because he's from. <laughs> South, I have no idea either. South America. Yeah, wrong region. <laughs> Get it together, there, guy. Wrong continent. <laughs> Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Once again, as you probably expected, Mitt Romney <laughs> is floating to the top like that piece of fat when you when you boil a chicken and it kind of just kind of floats up and it's all Ugh. gelatinous and gross on the top of the pot. Yuck. Yeah. So Mitt Romney's at it again. He's back talking about his new messaging. Apparently, he's had a change of heart, Brittany. What does he feel now that's different than he used to? Well, during a brief address to the Republican National Committee's winter meeting, he kind of addressed what his three main points of focus will be going forward. Mm -hmm. He said, first, we have to make the world safer. Yes. Second, we have to make sure and provide opportunity for all Americans, regardless of the neighborhood they live in. And finally, we have to lift people out of poverty. Wait, wait. wait. <laughs> if we communicate those three things effectively and the American people, the American people are going to be with us. Be with our nominee and with our candidates across the country. Wow. This is a stark change of pace from the Romney of only three years ago. Right. Remember three years ago when he said this on CNN. I'm not concerned about the very poor. We have a safety net there. If it needs a repair, I'll fix it. I'm not concerned about the very rich. They're doing just fine. I'm concerned about the very heart of America, the, the 90, 95% of Americans who right now are struggling. So, listen, there is a lot of truth to that, that our poor, they are going to be taken care of if they're very poor. We have a social safety net in place. And he's not concerned about the very rich because they're rich and they don't need his help. Yeah, he's worried about the middle class. I think there's a, there's a lot of validity to that. I'm not arguing with that. But this is a complete turnaround where now, what's the third point again without the drum roll, Brittany? 
we have to lift people out of poverty. I'm assuming that would be the very, very poor. Right. So, so three years ago... I'm not concerned about the very poor. And now... We have to lift people out of poverty. Once again, three years ago... I'm not concerned about the very poor. And now... We have to lift people out of poverty. There's... Those are... Thank God you're not doing it again. So those are... They're the same thing, right? I'm not concerned about the very poor. And we have to lift people out of poverty? Those those are the same idea. That's not another flip-flop. That's not another complete change in direction for the, the, the intellectually stimulated Mitt Romney, is it? Well, I also feel like the second point is directed specifically to like the Ferguson situation yeah. and other similar situations in similar areas, how we need to take care and provide for all Americans, regardless of the neighborhood they live in. Uh, listen, I agree with him that something needs to be done different than we're doing now to be able to alleviate the tension relative to race and also to create opportunity. Because if we could get people off of welfare, I've talked about this before, if we can get people off of welfare through training, through education, we will stop the cycle. If you can get a young mother and get her to avoid staying on welfare and get her educated and get her a job, her kids will likely also avoid welfare without the aid of the government. So you end up dwindling the, the, the welfare roles just through attrition. So I don't disagree with the new Mitt Romney. I'm not oh, concerned wait. about the very poor. <laughs> That's the old Mitt Romney. I don't disagree with this new Mitt Romney. Again, my problem is what the hell are we to think when he's two or three years into his presidency and he's changing his goddamn mind again. Well, you just can't believe anything that comes out of his mouth. I mean, what what are we supposed to believe? I have no idea. What are we supposed to believe that he really cares about? That's what's so difficult. I mean, you you want someone to put stake in you as a candidate, but but we don't know what you really feel because right. you're constantly changing your mind. And listen, I'm not just picking on Mitt Romney because Obama did the same exact thing. Obama campaigned both times. In 2008 and 2012, Obama campaigned a, as a person who is against gay marriage. He was a traditional marriage candidate. And then flip-flopped. Both times? Both times. Huh. It's only been relatively recently that he's come back because... Uh, the vice president, Joe Biden, opened his mouth. I didn't know that was after the second election. Well, he ran as a traditional marriage candidate and then in his advanced adulthood changed his mind on the matter. Well, that's the unfortunate thing that, that religion does. Well, no, I'm just saying. Enforcing people into these ridiculous beliefs that they have to pretend well, that they have, even if what, they don't have them. That's what I think it is. He's pretending that he was a traditional marriage guy, but he ran as that. So what do you believe? Now, what I do believe... Right, it still makes him a liar. He's a liar. But, I mean, I do believe that he never believed it. He just lied... To get elected, because right. at the time, it wasn't that popular. Now, it's way more popular. It's way more accepted. Right. So now, it's it's safe to come out of the closet against, quote-unquote, traditional marriage. Right. So, I'm not just picking on Mitt Romney. My problem with him is, is it's not just... I'm not concerned about the very poor... Changing his mind on that. It's not just that. It's him 
being for gay marriage and then he's against it. Being for universal health care and then he's against it. Being pro-choice then... Yeah, he's pro-choice. Pro-life. Now he's pro-life. I mean, he's he's bipolar. He's he's all over the map. You, you can't... You can't settle yourself to vote for him knowing, going forward with confidence, that he's the guy that you actually voted for. He's not the only one in this segment of Dollamocracy 2016, though. Lindsey Graham has apparently um, organized the, the thing we've talked about. He has organized his exploratory committee looking into the viability of him running for president. And we're we're far we're far enough out from the presidential run and, and campaign that he hasn't announced for president, but he's putting his little dainty feelers in the air. And Lindsey Graham is the senator Republican from South Carolina, right? And, and there's rumors I think that have kind of been surrounding him that he's gay. He's never been married, and he's fifty something years old. He also is a little effeminate. Yes, that's okay. I don't have a problem with, with someone being gay and run, running for office or being in office at all, just like I don't have a problem with someone being an atheist. Well, how how great would that be for the Republicans to have a gay Republican running? Yeah, but he's he's one of those anti-gay guys. He's like that Larry Craig type. Never mind. You know what? I, I shouldn't be too premature about that because I don't know that that's true. I don't know enough about the intricacies of his voting record to know... I think everybody should know by now that the way we do the show is not, we don't have copious notes in front of us. Brittany and I are having a conversation with one another and with you, and I'm not referencing data. So I don't know. I assume because he is from South Carolina and I know the geography there, I know the geopolitics of that region, that he is probably against gay marriage, against civil unions, but I don't know. So... Everybody should go look that up and find out whether I'm bullshitting <laughs> or whether I have my head on straight. But anyway, he's putting his little feelers out there. The unmarried 50-something-year-old um, male senator from South Carolina, he thinks he might want to be president. So we'll see. Just I'm doing a quick Google search while you were talking and not listening to anything you were saying. <laughs> and Story of my life. The key issues that are listed on his website at Senate.gov Defense. are energy independence, fiscal responsibility, immigration, issues across the Palmetto state. Palmetto. Mm-hmm. Protecting our nation. That's South Carolina. Stopping the government takeover of health care and upholding the Constitution. So I don't see gay marriage on there, although upholding the Constitution could. That's the thing with when you talk about upholding the Constitution. That could mean so many things because different people have different interpretations of upholding the Constitution. Ron Paul has a vastly different idea about what upholding the Constitution is than than does Lindsey Graham, right? I'm sure. Or than does Barack Obama, who taught constitutional law. Right. So So that's that. What are you going to do? I haven't dropped the phone number one time for the show. You have not. 657-464-7609. You can, of course, record yourself on your able smartphone and email it to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would love to see some ratings and reviews from you on iTunes and slash or Stitcher. <laughs> we give you options here, and I doubt it with Dollamore. Other than that, 
If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, you can go to dollamore.com up in the top right-hand corner. There's a link that says support the show. At that link, you can go to our Amazon search bar, buy your textbooks for next semester. You can buy electronics. You can, of course, buy regular books that you read at your leisure. And if you want to buy me Michael Shermer's new book, The Moral Arc, Brittany and I would be happy to take that off your hands and read it for you. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. I'm not concerned about the very poor 